Tonight is uh, March 4th, 2015, and to, I need y'all to help me to decipher the title of the message tonight. So if you could put up just the first slide, only the first one. Uh, if you are a Sutherland or a P-Row who were at our house the other day, you're not allowed to answer. So, Okay, so just, just wait, wait, just, just look at it. Don't say it out loud yet. Don't, don't say it out loud, because you may get it quicker than someone else. So give everybody a chance to participate. So Doug says that the title of tonight's message is Jumping to Conclusions. How many of you would agree with that? I agree that, that, is jumping, that the title of tonight's message is Jumping to Conclusions, but if you go to the next slide, this is actually what this says. So go back to the first one. See what I did there. You all jumped to a conclusion. See how I... Okay, right. Um, go ahead to the next one. So... Um, There are some times that we can look at something. Go ahead and put it back on the first one. It's interesting how God has designed us as human beings. This is actually uh, one of our characteristics. We will see something and fill in the blanks, right? We will see what we suppose is there. Um, The reason I said to our kids, to to the kids not to say anything is because we were watching a TV show last night, a little documentary, and it was going through about a million of these things. They would literally have someone walk up to a counter, and guy's like, okay, hang on, I'll get a pen. And he would get down and crawl under the counter, and someone else would stand up. Different shirt color, different dude, and people wouldn't even notice. I mean, literally, it was like, hey, 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 how's it going? Okay, great, hang on, let me, let me, let me uh, bend down and get you a pen. Another guy would come up with the pen, here you go, and they'd just keep talking, just like nothing ever happened. So like six out of every 10 people, seven out of every 10 people just missed it. There are things, because we're not looking for certain things, we miss what's going on. They would also, in this little documentary, they, would, they were like, okay, count how many moves that these dancers are doing. So you're working on it, you're working on it really hard, really hard, and they're like, how many of you saw the penguin? And you're like, what? And they replay it, and there's this guy in a penguin suit that goes... I was like, oh, I didn't even see the penguin. <laughs> I was counting the dancers and how many people. Little, little, little trickeration, right? Let me show you this. That's what works well with magicians. That's what work, works well with a lot of stuff. The reason I wanted to start off in tonight and talking about jumping to conclusions is, for us as believers, sometimes we jump to conclusions. Sometimes God actually gives us something. Um, I, I could have found other things. There are some things that you can read an entire paragraph and only the first and the last letter of the words are correct and everything in the middle is jumbled up. And after about two seconds, you can read the entire paragraph. If you could read this paragraph, then you are clearly understanding what was going on. And all the letters are jumbled except for the beginning and the end. This is really interesting things about the way we do it. There's a reason that we study the word like we do. There's a reason that we worship like we do. Because what we're trying to do is keep ourselves from jumping to the wrong conclusions about what God is doing in our life. When we see things and we jump to the wrong conclusion, it can derail people. It can cause you to not succeed in what God has promised and dictated for your life. It can cause you to go in a wrong direction when God has clearly said something else, but it's really, um, we've just filled it in. We've jumped to the wrong conclusions. Well, God said this, so I must go and do this. Interesting. Had the privilege of listening to Prime Minister Netanyahu the other day as he addressed our illustrious Congress. Um, 
brilliant. <laughs> Just brilliant. What a, what a world-class leader. Uh, agree with what he said, disagree. It was brilliant. Um, as he was saying things, he went over and was very, very clear, very, very clear about what he said, and he would address the concerns. Basically say, hey, here's the popular thought on everything that's going on is it's either this plan or it's this plan. And being the wonderful leader that he is, he said, basically, I disregard both of those options and propose this option. Be careful that as you're going along in life and when you get discouraged about something and you decide that now your only answer is to do, you fill in the blank here, that you're not jumping to the wrong conclusions. Let's take a look at some scripture here. John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. Amen. John chapter 9, verse 1. I, by the way, I intentionally wait on that because I really do want you to get there. I'm not in a hurry. I'd rather us all get there. If we go too fast, I don't want to lose you. All right, y'all are all Bible scholars, but hopefully you're taking notes so it makes it a little more difficult sometimes. John chapter 9, verse 1 says this, And he went, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? <laughs> this man or his parents that he was born blind? Can you say that they're jumping to conclusions, right? What does Jesus answer? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. When you look at something and figure out, surely it must be this or this, can I encourage you to stop for a minute and get a word from God? Can, can I encourage you to stop for just a second, to reconsider it, not based on your own experiences, not based on your own perspective, but perhaps God is trying to do something and he's setting you up to succeed. I've said this about my kids. I've got great kids. And he's like, oh, they're like, we don't like it when you preach because you use us as examples. Yes, I always will. Uh, and you'll like it. We, we talked, and I've shared this before, that we went through a, an especially um, lengthy period, it felt like, where it's like, would you guys just presume that I, one, know what I'm talking about, and two, that I'm actually doing something with a purpose, and three, that by the end of this, it will actually help you. Because uh, whether, whether they mean to or not, their questions sometimes will presume, if they presume those three things before they ask the question, dad knows what he's talking about, dad has your best in mind, this is all going to work out for your good. If they just start with those presumptions, then most questions they have, um, you don't end up asking. We'll just, we'll just wait and see. If I would presume that God does that and has that good for my life most of the time, there'd be a lot of questions that I just wouldn't wrestle with. There's a lot of stress that's taken off of my life. If I just go, God, you actually know what you're doing. You actually have my best in mind, and this is all going to work out. If I just presume those things, and this, this was an after the fact. I didn't have the revelation about God doing this. I'd learned this one through my kids. Thank you, by the way, for teaching me this great lesson, right? Just like the disciples, we don't want to be there and presume there are certain causes, there are certain effects that are going on. We want to actually hear from the Lord. Uh, turn, from, uh, turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 22. Verse 22. 
Oh, by the way, I was supposed to address this since you all, all see it anyway. This is not an attempt for me to be a professional singer or a dancer of any type. So I've heard many comments about dancing and allusions to all kind of craziness. So thank you all. Love you. Romans chapter 14. Love you. Thanks for helping a brother out. I'm just saying. Romans chapter 14, verse 22 says this. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. <laughs> I have to be honest with you and say that I have approved and disapproved of many things over the, over the, over the course of my life. And I look at this and go, oh, when I make a major thing out of a minor thing, when I make something major and approve it to show you that I know or not know. It's an interesting passage here. Verse 23, but the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating, his eating is not from faith. And this is the phrase I want to focus on. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So what are you doing in your life that's not from faith right now? Are you working hard? Are you laboring with man's intensity because you're afraid? Are you trying to get the job that you need and work hard to get finances because you're afraid that the provision won't be there? And I believe that we should work hard. I believe that as, as heads of your household, you should be providing and you should work. I understand all those things. But what is the source of you doing that? <laughs> I, I had an interesting experience today. I was driving our, our green van, the green hornet, I like to call it. And I went and I actually had a moment there for just a second. And I don't want it. It's not this way. And it just hit me at one point. I was driving somewhere, and I was about to park, and I got embarrassed that I was in the Green Hornet for a while. Like, it just kind of hit me. I was like, I'm a grown man. I'm driving a 1999 Plymouth Grand Voyager, the espresso package. You're welcome. And I'm there, and I'm pulling in. It's got 215,000 miles on it, and it was given to me. Godly people said, here, we give this to you. And actually, at first, they didn't even give it to me. They said, we want you to drive this vehicle, but we don't even want you to have to pay for anything other than gas. I was like, how can you do something better than giving someone a vehicle? I guess letting them borrow it for infinity, right? Literally, hey, if, it was, hey, if anything breaks, you let me know and I'll fix it. I'll pay for the insurance, like everything. I was like, thank you, Lord. What a great blessing been the most incredible blessing. We have run that thing. Oh my God, it's got 215,000 miles on it. And I, it's still running. And in Jesus' name, it will continue to do so. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I know that he has good in mind. But I drove up where I was going and it was a professional business meeting. And I was in the Green Hornet. For just a second, I went, it's dented on the front fender and, you know, <laughs> paint's coming off the front. And I'm like, <sighs> just for a second. And I went, wow, Lord, please forgive me. For what I, it doesn't ever, it never bothers me. And for some reason that day it did. I went, Lord, I'm so sorry. What a gift this is. I jumped to the wrong conclusion. I figured that the vehicle that I drive actually mattered. I figured that the vehicle that, that, the vehicle that I drive spoke more about me and my character than I intended for it to. 
I presumed a lot, I jumped to a lot of conclusions, and if you stop for a second and realize that what you think and what you feel are a revelation of what's really going on in the inside, please understand this. Emotions um, are not the end-all and be-all. You should not trust your emotions because they can lead you astray. But if you look at emotions like this, they give you a clear picture of what's going on. Right or wrong, it's, give, it's really like, ah, I got mad at that. Well, that's a clear picture of something that I feel on the inside. I got embarrassed that I pulled up in, a, in the Green Hornet. And I have to name it because I just have to. And it's got a lot of character. <laughs> and I, I need to have, it needs to have a name. For a minute there, I got, and I, and I was listening to scriptures in my car, and I'm worshiping Jesus, and I pull up, and it still hit me. I went, oh, well, look at there. Lord, thank you that, A, that you showed it to me, that you showed me my heart in that moment. Still not as dead to self as I thought. I still actually care what people think. Lord, I'm sorry. I want all those things to die. I'm just pulling up. Nobody else knew. I didn't have to tell you guys that. I'm just sharing a very, very simple, plain example to show that what we're doing, whatever doesn't come from faith is sin. In that moment, I sinned because the faith that I'm trying to live by I stepped aside from that for just a second. Lord, I'm so sorry. You gave me a car. You gave me a car that's still running. This is incredible. Thank you, Jesus. Flip that attitude. Flip the heart issue. Let God deal with it and moved on. If you ever want to ride in the Green Hornet, you're welcome to. Right? We'll do that. You know? So anything that's not of faith is sin. Anything that we're doing, that we're doing, um, there's a lot of people who base a lot of things that they do on fear, on insecurity, on doubt, but, you, but none of us can tell that from the outside. It could look just the same. Two people can be doing the exact same thing, one of them doing it fully from faith, and one of them doing it completely in fear, because that's how we are. We've jumped to the wrong conclusions within our own heart. Turn to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that seems right to a man. We all know this one. We can all finish it. But at the end, it leads to death. There's the way that, there's a normal way that people jump to the same conclusions. Sometimes we give the enemy far too much credit. Sometimes we really do. We serve a powerful God if we will just do exactly what he tells us to do. Um, can you go back to the PowerPoint slide for just a second, Susan? And go ahead and go to the, the third slide. So this is my incredible graphics. Did it while I was in the Green Hornet. No. <laughs> so... I just want to put this kind of in, in, in practical terms for us. So this is um, a, a decision matrix. I want, to say, I want to make it sound fancier than it is, right? It's a decision matrix. You're welcome, Curtis. He's going to use that tomorrow. I know it. For how we got here, we've told you guys this story. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to belabor the point, but um, I hope that by showing an example here, it will help you understand and get to, we can get to the same conclusion together. So when we decided that we were going to move, by the way, truthfully, LCMF was probably ahead of, of Houston, but for this, 
We knew that it was in the mix, but we didn't know how it was in the mix. So that's why I put it second. So um, we knew God was showing us things. Sometimes we have a clear understanding and we can kind of plan things out. I literally understood that each, each thing that we were going to do to move here, we only had one step at a time. I knew in my heart that God would not give me anything else until I did the first step because he's a good God. And truthfully, if we all just do it that way, we don't fill in the gaps and jump to conclusions. But in this case, I could not do anything else. I could not get a piece in my heart about the next until I did what was right in front of me. It was very, take you by the hand and walk you this way. So it was, we decided to move to Houston. We knew that Houston was, was the issue, or was where we were heading. You know, before that, I guess we knew that we were supposed to leave Austin and leave what I was doing. And so I had to quit that job before I had anything else. So that was even before that. I just ran out of space on my slide here, right? Then, then it was Houston. Well, praise God, if we're going to Houston, we're going to go to LCMF. I mean, there's no question. There was no question about that part. So we understand these things. And then there was a, a transition somewhere in there. I don't remember exactly. I'd have to talk and figure it out. But where we wanted to come and serve you guys. And so as we keep going down, instead of jumping to conclusions, we started filtering everything through what we did know. Not trying to figure out what we didn't know. I just took the things that God gave us and we just said, if this is true, then we have to do this. And it made decisions extremely clear. Not always easy, but extremely clear in this. Um, So I'm going to come to Houston. Well, I guess I ought to start looking for a job. At least we have our church worked out. Well, if I'm supposed to come and serve these people, then maybe I don't look for a job. Maybe I just come here and we just see what God does. And he'll take care of the provision. So when people offer the six-figure jobs, it's actually a very easy decision to turn them down. No, (laughs) it's a very clear decision. (laughs) Just trying to be real. (laughs) Very clear decision of what we are and are not supposed to do. So as it, as it kind of keeps coming down, we go, Lord, we know we're supposed to be in Houston. So any job that's offered to us in Baton Rouge or Dallas or anywhere else gets immediately thrown out. We know we're supposed to be at LCMF. We feel like we want to serve these people with all of our hearts and all of our lives. So other jobs that don't allow us to do that, they could be a million dollars a day. It doesn't matter because we, this is what God told us and he walked us through. And if, and if we're going to come and be pastor here, if we're going to come and give our lives for this place, if we're going to come and make the rest of our life being about being here and serving you, then that precludes other things. We cannot do other things. Anything that we do has to fit in this matrix. We don't start filling in the gaps with the stuff that we don't know. If it doesn't fit in here, we just don't do it. This is it. I guess in one way it's kind of sad that I can boil my life down to four, four lines and a couple of slashes. But this is really exactly the way God has worked in our life. There's a filter. There's a process. What has he told you? What, what is he calling you to do? What, what does he have in front of you? Then you keep filtering it back, every decision. Well, should I do this or this? Don't jump to the wrong conclusion. Stop for a second. Consider what the Lord has told you. Seek him out in your prayer. Seek him out in the realness of who he is. I don't want to mess this up. Just turned 40 in November. I look at things and go, I'm a 40-year-old man. I've got a wife and three kids. I don't want to be messing this up. I don't have to be backtracking and going, well, I messed that up, and that took about five years of my life. 
You get enough little one-year mess-ups, you get a little enough five-year mess-ups, and you get a lot of Christianity today. People who've never progressed, they say that God has called them to something, but they didn't make decisions based on what God had already said so that it funnels down to being right in the center of God's will. And you get people, what I call, they just take another lap around the mountain. They just take another lap out in the wilderness. And they're, they're kind of always moving, but never progressing. They're all, they have motion going on in their life, but there's no advancement. I'm just trying to encourage you, don't be that. And most, of, most people that I know, as I was thinking about this today, the reason that they get there is they just jump to the wrong conclusions. Well, I'm trying really, really hard. I am working so hard and nothing is working out. Therefore, I should quit. Really, that's the only outcome that you got from that? Perhaps it's that you be persistent. Uh, Well, I did this, and they took it this way, therefore, they're not of God. (laughs) And I'm intentionally being whiny, right? We don't perceive ourselves as being whiny, but that's exactly what we're doing. It's exactly what I've done more times than I'd care to count, right? We whine about it in our own heart. Oh, we're grown-ups. We'll put the right right, uh, spin on it once, once we talk to somebody else how God is talking to us about it. And the truth is, is we're jumping to the wrong conclusions, I know that everything that we do has required us to absolutely give our all. I know that about God. I know that we are here and death is about the only thing that's going to change that. That sounds bold statement. What other choice do I have? I don't want to jump to the wrong conclusion and delay God's plan in my life. He's going to figure it out. God, God is it's not going to derail his plan. What did it say to Esther? Hey, look, if you don't do this, God's going to bring the the answer to this some other way. But you and your household won't be saved. No, for such a time as this, I'm going to come just the way I've committed to my wife in a covenant relationship that the only thing that can break this is death. There is no option. There's no option for divorce. There is no option for separation. There is no option for us doing anything other than growing in the Lord. That's it. That is the only option. I can't even fathom any other option in my mind. There there is no option. This is hard. Yeah, well, sorry it's difficult. And this is the only option that we have. This is what we're doing. Us being here, we feel the same way. The only thing, (laughs) the only thing that will get us out of this is death. (laughs) Like, oh, that's kind of morbid, but that's not, I mean it in the most glorious, amazing way. Trust me, I really do, seriously. No, seriously. Proverbs chapter 20. Let me get myself out of this trouble here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. Did it say the man was trying to have the Lord direct his steps? No, it just said a man's steps are directed by the Lord. (laughs) How then can anyone understand his own way? For those of us who are planners, that's a tough scripture to swallow. Right? If you've you've ever written your five-year plan out, 
This guy had one right here. If you've ever had your 10-year goals etched somewhere up in your house, hey, praise God. Glad you and I are wired that way. And this scripture kind of punches you in the face a little bit. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How many times have I done something? My wife is infamous. She's incredible, but she's also infamous. She is infamous for telling God what we will never do. What she will never do. She just tells everybody else. Uh, I don't, you know, I said, hey, I'll never be a principal. Became that. I mean, you might as well just go down. At this point in our lives, we're like, look, don't ever say that again. Why don't you try saying, hey, I will never be a millionaire or something and see if, see if that works. <laughs> try that one for a while. Actually, that's, that's not even a desire. I'm, I'm just being silly. Ah, we'll never do this. Ah, we would never want to be pastors. Ah, we would never. I'm like, that's funny. That's funny what we tell, what we tell God. A man's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? If we can't understand our own way, then should be, we really be the one that, are plan, that is planning this thing out as much as we do? I, I've really gotten very simplistic in my old age here. God, all I need is one step in front of me. All I need is to have your mercies renewed for me today. All I need is enough money to do what you tell me to do. That's all I need. I just need you. Uh, I've made plenty of plans and they've all gone awry and yet you're still faithful and you still love me and use me in spite of myself. So how about I just skip to that where I don't have it and you have it, so let's just start there. Let's just start that you actually have the plan and if I do it, it would be more glorious than I can ever imagine. Let's turn to Jude. Let's get into the core of this. Jude. Hey, Jude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jude. We're actually going to start in 11, and then Jude. There's only one chapter. So Jude, verse 11, is where we're going to start. If you can't find it, turn to Revelation and back up a page. We're going to start in verse 11 and and look at a few things, and then um, we'll come back to Jude a few times. It says this, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for the prophet of Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Uh, Since we have so many uh, well-learned people here, I have to tell you that got to the church this afternoon, was studying, was reading, praying, crying out to God, Lord, you got to help me. You got to help me. This, like, you got to help me. And about, I don't remember, like 5.50, I was actually supposed to come in here for worship practice with JJ. I was going to support my friend and come in here and worship. And, and about 5.50, I went, I read this scripture and it just blew up in my face. And it just blew up in my heart with, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for the prophet of Balaam's error into and they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error sorry they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion and i just looked at it and went wow they've taken the way of Cain i'm just letting it sit in i'm i'm repeating it to you because we have you guys understand you can you can picture these things they have taken the way of Cain 
They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved for forever. Enoch, the seventh son of Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Are you, are you getting the theme here, folks? These men are grumblers. Grumblers. Isn't that interesting? They're clouds without rain. And the first complaint that in this part of the verse is they're grumblers. Yeah, I don't like those scriptures when they hit too close to home. When I grumble about the car that I'm driving, Lord, far be it for me to, to ever doubt you and your provision in my life. <laughs> I want to get this quick right as quickly as possible. These men are grumblers and fault finders. Hmm. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. I mean, we don't know any people like this, right? We don't know anybody who will just say things and and be kiss-ups and different types of things, whatever we call it in our common vernacular. But let's go back to verse 11. They have taken the way of Cain. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Other end of the Bible here. Verse 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. He was literally moping around. You could see it on him. Does that make sense? Have you ever seen somebody and you're like, whoa, I don't even have to know you. I, I realize, and, and it's, it's still this way some, but especially when I was a principal and a teacher, I'd walk into the room and I couldn't help but see the one that, would be, that was upset because I knew that that's where my trouble may come from. <laughs> I'd just walk somewhere and be like, have a whole hundreds of kids and I'd just, I'd see the one. Just walk over and start talking to that one because their face was, you could see it on them like the little, whatever that Charlie Brown character that. <laughs> didn't even register in my mind until you said that. <laughs> where you have Pigpen where it's kind of just surrounded by stuff. Or you've seen the cartoons where the, you know, the, the, the rain cloud is only over one person walking around. <laughs> I love you, Charlie. <laughs> Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And we know as the story goes on that Cain, after God had spoken to him, went out and did a horrible thing. As I was thinking about Cain, um, back in Jude, it says this in verse 3 and 4. It says this, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith. Everybody say contend for the faith. There is a fight that we have to continually do. Lest you get tired of swinging, you have to contend for the faith. Every day. Every little thought, we're going to take them all captive and make them obedient to Christ. You're not going to let anything sneak in there. You know why? Because I'm contending for the faith. This is too important to mess this up. I felt I had a right to you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. It's an interesting term, the saints, right? For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Because we're contending, because we're at war, there are spies. There are those who will look one way on the outside and be something different underneath. These men have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. These men are changing grace into a license for immorality. That's what I think of when I think of the way of Cain. I think of one who is, uh, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. I did what I was supposed to do. I mean, it didn't matter that I did it well. I, I accomplished it. I gave an offering. I think of Cain as being one who had a license, who used grace as a license to do what he wanted to do. <laughs> Cain did not understand what holiness is actually about. That God has a standard and we are only to come up to this. I keep saying this in every discussion that I have to everybody that I talk to. I talked to a children's pastor in Austin today who was asking me about a adopted child who was having transgender issues at the age of seven. What do I do? It's an interesting conversation to have. The whole conversation in a nutshell is you can love them, but you got to hold a righteous standard. Whatever God has made that child, it happens to be a little boy, and the parents won't allow him to dress like a little girl. I said, I don't know, the name didn't come up. Michael, I'm just going to pick Michael, because if it's a boy, call him Michael, don't call him Michelle. Um, make him dress like a boy when he comes to church. I don't, I, you can't affect what he does outside of that. Make him go to the boys' restroom. I mean, like, you start dealing with these things, and you go, there's a way. There are people who are coming in and taking grace and turning it into a license to sin. I'm sure that that child in particular probably has all kind of demonic influences going on. At seven and eight, seriously, what, has, what is the enemy trying to do to destroy that kid? We don't help them by changing the standard of righteousness. We don't help them by changing the standard of holiness. We only ensure their condemnation. 
I can't love them so much and be so soft-hearted about it that you don't actually say, this is the standard of holiness that my God has set. Neither you nor I can change that. We must do what God said and allow them to be set free by the power of God. That is what our job, that is what Cain did not do. He did not say that there is a standard of righteousness and I must, I must, I have no choice. I'll give some of my, I'll give some, I'll give something. I'll donate to the box going by. I'll give to the Salvation Army or the Red Cross or whatever. I'll give. Yeah, there's a, there's a standard of holiness that's there. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Is this making sense? I hope it is. Yeah. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. (laughs) That we might not jump to the wrong conclusions, but that we might find out and do exactly what God has said. We don't need to rely on ourselves. And if you think that you've gotten past that, well, then help me to figure out. I think that I'm doing pretty good, and then God reveals something to me. And then I pull up in the green hornet. I think I'm doing all right, and I got this thing licked in a certain area, and then something will happen. I'm like, oh, I'm still relying on myself. Lord, I don't know how to do any more than what I'm doing right now. And I'm still relying on myself. I still want to go by what I see and what I think and my own experiences versus your word. One of the things I love about this church the most, I really do, is that the principles of what we do are based in scripture first and then we try to build whatever whatever the the natural thing that we're after is built from the scripture first versus people who are trying to live in a godly way but don't actually base any of their life on Scripture. They base it on Christianese. They base it on cultural Christianity. They base it on other things, but their life is not built actually on the firm foundation of the Word. It's built on something else. may look similar, may sound similar, but the truth is it's not built on the Word. And you see that because um, I I mentioned this the other day. We have friends who who are Christians. Many Christians nowadays are fighting with this homosexuality. I don't mean that they're becoming homosexual. I mean that their acceptance of homosexuality is becoming very commonplace. It's coming entire church denominations, entire denominations, Thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people are being taught by a system that now says, because of my current experiences, I'm going to say that this is okay. I think that's the way of Cain. Now, that's an easy one. This church, that's not a, we're not going to fight over that one. But what is it that you have in your heart that you're allowing to sneak in there and it's just you've jumped to a conclusion? You actually haven't based it on Scripture and what it says You've just filled in some blanks because you thought the first letter was right and it looked like the last letter was light and things you've got everything jumbled up in the middle. 
Verse 9, indeed, our, our hearts, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope. Dear God, if you're like me, that is a prayer that you have of, Lord, I have set my hope on you, and I also want to set my hope on you. Does that make sense? That really is what I want to do, Lord, and I still don't always set my hope on you. I still kind of have it wrapped up in the things that I can see or that I can touch or that I can figure out or that I can project or that I can try to do. I want to have this. <laughs> I do and I want it. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. <laughs> then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. The way of Cain, he doesn't understand holiness, doesn't understand the righteous standard. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Let's start in verse 10. Balaam said to God, Black son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come out and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. Hey, and I need a little, I need a little magic. I need something. I need a little uh, talisman. I need something little extra oomph to get over this and so I can fight God's people. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. Mm. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Black's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Huh. God said something to him and he, apparently he does it. Well, let's, let's see. Verse 14, so the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak son of Zippor says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them. Even if Balak, I'm sorry, but Balaam answered them. Even if Balak gives, uh, gave me his palace filled with silver and gold. I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Doesn't it sound like he's saying the right things? It sounds like to me, if I'm just reading this in English, I'm going, huh, well, maybe there's hope for this guy. Maybe this isn't. And I know that Balaam's donkey, the story of his donkey is coming. And I still go, well, is this a good thing or a bad thing? I kind of wrestle with it when I'm reading it trying to give the impression of the first time and going, if I just knew that and didn't know the end of this story, what would I think about him right now? Now stay here tonight, verse 19, as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God said to, came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, 
go with them, but do only what I tell you. So apparently God told him not to go, and now he's saying it's okay to go, right? Am I reading this right? Are you all with me? Verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. (laughs) What's going on here? God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So there must be something else going on besides the text, right? There's something else going on because it sounds one way, and people try to look at the Bible and go, well, that doesn't make any sense, so the Bible must be wrong. They jump to the wrong conclusion. They don't like what goes on in the Old Testament, so they jump to the wrong conclusion and try to make it about old and new. They, there's, there are things that go on that we just jump to the wrong conclusion, so I don't want to jump to the wrong conclusion. Let's see what it says. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. Can you envision this? There's an angel standing there. Balaam's like, stupid donkey. Whoosh, whoosh. Kind of pins it in to this place where they can't turn to the left or the right. Interesting, God will often get us to a place where we can't turn to the left or to the right. We've got to address what's going on right in front of us. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the two vineyards with walls on both sides. I'm sorry, uh, verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the left, right, or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. Goodness gracious. I think this is such a neat story. You, if the angel of the Lord could open the donkey's mouth, the angel of the Lord could also show him that he was standing there. <laughs> right? Hmm. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, she, isn't that neat? The Bible just gives you details. She said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now, I would have fallen on the ground at this point. (laughs) The donkey is talking! Apparently, Balaam didn't have that same response, and perhaps perhaps he did, but it's not recorded, because Balaam just turns and answers the donkey. (laughs) Well, of course, what else would I do? (laughs) I'll talk back to the donkey now. You made a fool of me. If I had a sword drawn in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, (laughs) continue the conversation, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I ever been in the habit of doing this to you? Even the donkey is trying to help Balaam from jumping to the wrong conclusions here. Goodness gracious, have I ever, do I ever do this to you? Seriously. It's funny when we're talking about a donkey. It's not as funny when you're talking about your friends and godly people around you. How easy is it for us to impugn someone who's been around us because we jumped to the wrong conclusion? I'm not, but for an example, I get mad at Nick. Why are you mad at Nick? Well, he did there. He did something, and he jumped in front of me when I was going to pray for somebody on Sunday. He's so selfish. Seriously, do you know the guy? Like, but we're real quick to do it to our friends. We're real quick to do it to our spouse. We're real quick to do it to people that we know and are godly in our lives and go, well, 
you get your feathers ruffled, and you start impugning other people's character. They're human. I understand they could have a bad day. And if you know somebody, seriously, do I act this way all the time? Am I normally out to get you? Do I normally intentionally try to harm you? I love, I love this answer. It's fantastic. <laughs> and he admitted, nope. You don't, don't normally do that. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. And he bowed low and fell face down. He was so far off course in his own heart, it literally took a beast to talk to him. Turn back to Jude. Keep this in mind. Turn back to Jude. Let's start in verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts. For the sake of this sermon, I'd just like to say they just follow their own conclusions. They just jump to whatever conclusion they feel like and they call it like they actually know and have heard from God. They follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Can I encourage you? Stop operating outside of the Spirit. In a daily walk. I'm not saying when you come in here and you can Shabba it up. I'm glad for Shabba. There you go. Well placed. But when we're out in the workplace, when we're driving to and fro, when we're in the quietness of our own homes, when we're in the quietness of our own thoughts, stop trying to do it in your own strength. Stop trying to base it on what you're thinking and coming up with and fretting. You're going to fall in the way of Cain, where he doesn't understand holiness, or you're going to to fall into the way of Balaam, who's corrupted by his own desires. Look look up in verse 11, where where it's talking about this. They have taken... They have taken the way of Cain. They are following the way of Cain. They have grasped the way of Cain for themselves. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. It's neat how this, you go back and you're like, well, it looks kind of like he's doing what God wants him to do. But there's some, and let's turn to 2 Peter, which is a parallel passage, just real quick. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. Just a few pages over. Um, let's start in verse 13 to put it more in context. They will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. We are more and more of a bold, emboldened society with sin. We're not afraid to sin. We want to put it on the internet. We're not afraid of sin. We want you all to see it. So we'll put it on primetime TV. Anywhere that we can show it, we'll show it. And for those of you who want to stay away from it, we'll call you the ones that are messed up. They are blots and blemishes. Hmm, I wonder if they're going to make it in the kingdom. God's looking for a bride without blots and blemishes. Hmm. Reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you, with eyes full of adultery. Yikes. They never stop sinning. 
They seduce the unstable. Wicked. They are experts in greed. They are experts in greed. (laughs) I'm really good at this. I just want to tell you. Yikes. Experts in greed and and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. If you didn't have a whole picture and know that Balaam's life did not end well, if you didn't have these scriptures in the New Testament, you might miss the fact that he loved, loved the wages of wickedness. He was a prophet for hire. The whole story is based around the fact that he is a prophet for hire. I'm a little intimidated by the fact that he could actually still hear God, even in that state. Makes me stop to consider. It gives me pause because I don't want to fall in the way of Cain and lose the righteous standard. I don't want to follow in the rush into prophet and into Balaam's error. Verse 16, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Didn't say anger. (laughs) He was angry, but it actually, the donkey was trying to restrain his madness. He was so in love with the wages of wickedness that it was driving him insane. He was blinded and could only see that. Back to Jude. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Turn to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Let's start in verse 8. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 8. Our tech team does such a good job of putting scriptures up on the screen. Don't ever let them do the work for you, though. You get to understand how to wield your sword and to know where things are in your, in your Bible. Starting in verse 8, um, number 16, verse 8. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelites' community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle? and to stand before the community and minister to them. Verse 9, read that again. Isn't it enough? Korah, isn't it enough? What What is the presumption that we can see there? By his question and by the details of what's going on, you presume that, I'm going to presume the answer to his question. It is, in my mind, a rhetorical question. Isn't it enough that you've been separated to do what God wants you're, you're a Levite. You're, you're a priest. Isn't it enough for you? Isn't it enough for you that God has called you? You want to, are you not satisfied with what God is doing? And the implication is, what's the answer? No, it's not enough. Moses also said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself Goodness gracious, to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them. He's brought you and all of your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too? 
Is it not enough for you to be close to the Lord? Is it not enough for you to be separate from those around you? Is it not enough for you? I'm reminded of a, of a scripture passage in the Old Testament. It talks about that these people uh, were not functioning properly and their punishment was that they would continue to have to serve God's people as priests, but God's spirit would be far from them. Their punishment was, you've got to keep being the priest, but I'm no longer with you. If that doesn't prick your heart, then there's something wrong. You could be around the people of God and God could be far from you. You could be doing the work of the Lord. Now, I don't mean just behind a pulpit. I mean that you could be doing these things. Their punishment was they had to keep doing it. You would think in your mind that their punishment would be that they would be far removed from it. And that takes place as well. But really, in Ezekiel, their punishment is they have to stay there and keep doing it. You have to be around God's people and see my presence fall upon them, and you're not allowed to have it. Korah did not understand his purpose. Isn't it enough for you? There's a weightiness that's on that in my spirit right now. Isn't it enough for you? Isn't what God's doing in your life, isn't it enough? Why are you looking somewhere else for your satisfaction? Why are you looking to other people and other things? Isn't it enough for you? Doesn't the lamb deserve the just reward of his sacrifice? Isn't it enough for you to, to be doing what God has called you to do and nothing else? Isn't it enough for you that he's got a design for you and if you do it properly in the body, the entire body profits? Isn't it enough for you to be where you are? Come up on this mountain and be on the mountain. Why do we want to be anywhere else other than where God has called us to be? Isn't it enough for you? I don't want to fall in the way of Cain. I don't want to run after profit and fall into Balaam's error. I surely don't want to go down Korah's path. Turn back to Jude for me. Isn't it enough? Is he enough for you or not? Not because you can say it, not because you're faithful in attending. Is he enough for you or not? Are you dissatisfied in your own life? Is he enough for you or not? If you don't know, then the answer is no. He's not enough for you. He should be, and you're not allowing him to be enough. You have divided loyalties within your own heart. You've jumped to the wrong conclusions and decided that something else can make you happy that another person can make you happy, that just a little bit more money and more security and more 
dollars in the bank can make you happy and it'll be enough. It's impossible for that to be enough. When I was young, I wanted to be, I wanted to get to be 18 and be an adult. I realized that when I turned 18, I felt exactly the same way that I did the day before. Perhaps when it's, maybe it's 21 and I will feel different. Uh-uh. Didn't feel a lick different at 21 than I did at 18. Maybe it's when I get married. Maybe it's when I graduate college. Maybe it's when I get married. Maybe it's when I have kids. Maybe it's when I do this. Maybe it's, maybe it's always something else that I'm looking for and God is never actually enough in my life. If you don't take the time and actually honestly evaluate whether he is enough for you, perhaps you will follow in the way of Korah. Perhaps you will follow into Balaam's error. Perhaps you will embark on Cain's destruction. I'm having a hard time talking because I feel the weightiness of this question. There's a weightiness to this question right now and I don't want to pass it by. Is he enough or not? Is he enough? I don't care what your age. I don't care what you've been through. He's either enough for you or he's not. Do you need another position? Do you need someone to tell you and affirm you? Do you need someone, some man's approval? Those are signs that he's not enough for you. Jude chapter 1 verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. As you wait. If He's enough, you can wait. When Christ is enough in you, you can wait. I don't feel jittery when He is enough. I don't feel embarrassed when He is fully enough in me. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. (laughs) Snatch others from the fire and save them. Don't you love how God is always a both-and kind of God? Be merciful to those who doubt. Don't crush them. And on this other end, you better snatch them out of the fire. (laughs) One has the utmost of of mercy, the other one has just uh, all action, right? To others, I love this, show mercy mixed with fear. 
somewhere in between. <laughs> Whatever the people need, when he's enough, you can be what they need. If you need to be a hammer, go be a hammer. If you need to be a loving, gentle reminder and that people will come back to repentance because of God's kindness, be that. Or be a little bit of both. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. But whatever you do, you don't let go of the righteous standard. You don't jump to the wrong conclusion and think that God prefers the mercy or God prefers the snatching. You just you do exactly what he tells you to do, whatever the cost. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. And pray in the Holy Spirit. Would you stand to your feet with me?